Good afternoon, Lafayette. This is Joe Cunningham here on the Joe Cunningham Show. News Talk 96.5 KPL 232-1542. If you want to call and express your disappointment with Walker Zimmerman of the Team USA soccer team, which just went 1-1 against Wales. Uh, very disappointing. Uh, well, it was a good first half from the U.S. For those of you who are not soccer fans, I'm sorry. Just let me get through these these few minutes. Because um, I want to talk about the World Cup a little bit later, but I wanted to get through this. This has actually just happened. It is breaking news. And uh, every four years, Americans typically become patriotic uh, about soccer, and that's when Team USA makes it to the World Cup. So in its opening game against Wales, uh, Team USA uh, – went 1-1 against uh, Wales. So Team USA scored in the first half, 1-0, goes in the second half. A lot of people complaining about the second half. I actually think the second half looked mostly good for the U.S. Defensively, it was very good. Offensively, they they weren't as aggressive, but that the, the defense was doing a good job. It wasn't until toward the end when Wales picked up the pressure. And uh, one of the defenders, Walker Zimmerman, uh, Wales guy, he's in the goalie's box. He's a, he's getting he's got the ball. As soon as he touches the ball, American defender goes in for the tackle, and it's inside the box. It's a penalty kick, and that gives Wales the equalizing goal. And you know, nine minutes of stoppage time, poorly officiated game overall, but. Uh, Team USA walks away uh, with a tie against Wales. So that leaves England on top, Wales and the U.S. tied in second, and Iran in the grouping last. Uh, England had beaten Iran like 6-2. So uh, need a better performance. Team USA takes the pitch again against England on Friday. All right, so got that out of the way. I want to get into the World Cup because there's actually a lot of news about the World Cup that I want to get into. But let's start with... The Louisiana news for today, Billy Nungesser has announced when he is going to announce. I will say that again. It might, might be confusing wording, but let, let me go into it again. Billy Nungesser has announced when he's going to announce. The 63-year-old lieutenant governor will announce on his 64th birthday, January 10th, whether or not he is going to run for governor of the state of Louisiana. It is high time for any other candidates who want to jump into this race to uh, make their decision. Because the sitting around and waiting is not cutting it. They're already all upset about Louisiana GOP's decision to endorse Jeff Landry. They're kind of worried now because John Kennedy is making moves, you know, making talking like he may be considering it. I still don't think he is, but he very well could. Something could change. But Billy Nungesser in particular, I've mentioned my problems with a potential Billy Nungesser campaign before. Nungesser. And, and, you know, I, I wrote the story at KPEL965, put it up on Facebook, on, on the KPEL Facebook page, and the very first comment was, he looked really buddy-buddy in those commercials with John Bell Edwards. Well, of course, because Billy Nungesser wants to be the moderate, considerate, uh, not-too-extreme Republican. And that's going to hurt him. You know, Kerry Lake in Arizona, 
toward the end of the campaign, held a rally where she asked, are any of you John McCain voters? Get out. We don't need you. And lo and behold, a number of Republican voters did not vote for Carrie Lake, either didn't vote in that race or voted for Katie Hobbs. What you cannot do is you cannot tell a portion of the people in your party, I don't need you. Mitt Romney, without outright saying it, did that in 2012 against Barack Obama. Mitt Romney actually had headwinds. He actually had the ability to win in 2012. But his campaign was run from the perspective of, we don't need conservatives. We can win with just the independents. And his campaign, without outright saying it, was essentially a giant middle finger to conservatives. A lot of conservatives did not feel like voting for Mitt Romney, so they stayed home. Or they just left that part of the ballot blank. Carrie Lake cost herself with McCain voters in, 20, in, in 2022 for governor in Arizona. When you run a campaign and the premise is I'm going to run this way because I don't need that. I don't need to do that. I don't need you voters. I can win by bringing everybody to the table. You're alienating all sides. The independents want somebody who's decisive and a moderate is never decisive. The conservatives want a Republican. The Democrats don't want a Republican. So you're winning yourself a very slim number of voters there. Even slimmer when there are actual conservative Republicans who are going to be in the race, like the already declared Jeff Landry. If you are running the campaign to the left of Jeff Landry, you want to be conservative, you want to be a Republican, but you don't want to be as far to the right as Jeff Landry, you are telling people who are as far to the right of Jeff Landry, I don't need you. You're not my people. So Billy Nungesser, who has been waffling on this, he's been teasing that he's going to announce in the future, yeah, I'm going to announce later, yeah, I'm going to announce later. And we get to the point where you've got to, for lack of a better phrasing, poop or get off the pot, and he is refusing to do either. So now he says, January 10th, my birthday, my 64th birthday, January 10th, that's what I'm going to announce. He's going to announce, what, two months removed? three months removed from Jeff Landry announcing getting the Louisiana GOP endorsement. We've known that Jeff Landry and Billy Nungesser want to run for governor. The moment Jeff Landry did, Billy Nungesser should have too. Because Nungesser, as soon as Jeff Landry consolidated his resources, put a campaign team together and announced, Billy Nungesser was operating from behind, and he's let himself slip further and further behind. Would the LA GOP endorsement have happened if Nungesser had announced almost immediately after Landry? I don't think so. Because the Louisiana GOP doesn't want to divide the party any more than it has been in the last two gubernatorial cycles. So as a result of that, As a result of that, Billy Nungesser is operating from behind. 
And I don't think he's going to be able to catch up. Not that I think he ever really stood a chance. Bill Cassie said he's not going to run. Sharon Hewitt hasn't made a decision. John Schroeder's hinted at it, but hasn't made a decision. John Kennedy has said he's considering it, but hasn't made a decision. We've got all these people who haven't made a decision yet. Only two Republicans have, Jeff Landry, who is, and Bill Cassidy, who isn't. Everybody, repeat after me, poop or get off the pot. It is time to make the decision. The midterms are over. You say the future of the state is at stake. You need to go ahead and make your decision, pull your team, pull your money together, get everything ready to go. 232-1542, let's take a break. When we come back, let's talk about John Kennedy a little bit more. Let's talk about some of the other dynamics of this race. And, of course, your calls and messages on the KPL app chat here on News Talk 96.5 KPL. Welcome back to the Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 96.5 KPL 232-1542. If you want to be part of the conversation or you can send a message to the KPL app, if you open up the app, either you're listening to the show or you just have it on your phone because you get all of our fabulous text alerts whenever there's news breaking. If you open up the app, there's a little chat icon, a little little text box icon up in the corner. You tap that, you can send a chat to the show. Find general message, you can send a chat. I'll see that and I will respond to those on the air and in the app on occasion. So be sure if you have a comment to share with the show or call in, like I said, 232-1542. So John Kennedy is still on the fence, apparently. I don't think he is. I don't think he's on the fence. I feel pretty sure John Kennedy is going to stay in the Senate. The more time goes on, the more I feel like his, hey, I'm considering it, is a warning to the other Republican candidates. Get your act together. Don't make me come down there. That type of warning. Now, Kennedy may very well be unhappy with the fact that he's not going to be leadership in any Senate committee because the Senate was not held or was not won by the Republicans in the midterm election. He might have been hoping for prime positioning on the Judiciary Committee or somewhere else, and he didn't get it. But he's still going to be a top Republican because if the Republicans win in Georgia in the runoff, then based on the rules, the Senate GOP and the Senate Democrats take pretty much an equal split of the committees. There's an equal number of each party in a split Senate on those committees. So he still has a lot of power on whatever committees he stays with. But he may have wanted a leadership job. And he's not getting it because the Republicans aren't going to be in power. But I really think that Kennedy is going to ultimately stay in the Senate. I could be wrong. I have been before. If I were Kennedy, I would want to stay in the Senate, but I would also be making moves in the background to get my party back home in line. Because the dysfunction going on with the Louisiana GOP is just mind-numbing at this point. The state GOP probably shouldn't have endorsed so early. 
But all these other candidates that are whining because they did really need to take a step back and realize that that endorsement is a lot less likely had all of those folks gone ahead and, and made their announcements. That's part of the strategic nature of what Jeff Landry did. He, he announced early. He set his message for a message of unity. Remember, he said, we are running, not I. He said, we are running. And he worked to get the state GOP behind him quickly. So he has the unity message going through. And yes, it's rubbed a lot of Republican politicians the wrong way. And there are some people who kind of question it, but strategically you have more to gain by making all these moves already. Now for Nungesser and Sharon Hewitt and John Schroeder and all these other people who say it's all, it all reeks of backroom, uh, backroom negotiations, backroom agreements, back, all this stuff. Are they all new to politics? The art of politics is the backroom deal. Working together to get to a solution. Working together to get something that works to your advantage. Just because Jeff Landry played that game better than Billy Nungesser and John Schroeder and Sharon Hewitt and all these others doesn't mean that it's bad. Billy Nungesser, had he gotten the Louisiana State GOP endorsement before anybody else, would not be saying the things he's saying right now. You'll notice John Kennedy really hasn't said anything about that. Bill Cassidy did, and Bill Cassidy decided he's not running. But the state GOP really needs to fix itself. At the risk of repeating myself constantly, you have to remember that the GOP as a whole has a problem with being stuck in the past and not moving into the future. Remember, their big convention here in town was centered around Dinesh D'Souza and 2,000 Mules, his documentary. Focusing on the 2020 election, not focusing on the future of Louisiana. That will be Jeff Landry's problem, by the way. Because you cannot run a campaign based on I'm not the other guy. What the other guy did was a major problem. You need to run with solutions. Jeff Landry, the Republican Party in Louisiana needs solutions. Because they can't just say after, once 2023 gets here. And we're running for go- and the Republicans are running for governor. The Republicans can't say, well, we're not this guy because this guy is leaving. They need ideas. They need solutions. And Billy Nungesser whining about the state GOP and Jeff Landry talking about all the things he did to stop John Bell Edwards. None of that is going to fly if you don't have any actual ideas. The Louisiana GOP needs ideas. That's one of the things about Bobby Jindal. He doesn't get a lot of credit for that. Bobby Jindal had a lot of ideas and he brought ideas to the table. Were they all good ideas? No. Did I like all of his ideas? Absolutely not. But Bobby Jindal brought forward ideas. He actively worked to try to make the state better. At this point, 
with 2023 coming in and the Republicans looking to take back the governor's mansion, they need to have a game plan going forward. Okay, we're in charge. What now? That was a big part of the problem for the Republicans nationwide. They didn't really have a plan. I don't know if you watched the movie The Dark Knight with Heath Ledger as the Joker in uh, Christopher Nolan's Batman trilogy. But there's that point when, when the Joker's in the hospital with Harvey Dent and he talks about Jim Gordon and Batman and all these other people, people who have plans. And he said, I'm, do I look like a guy with a plan? I'm a dog chasing a car. I don't know what I'm going to do with the damn thing once I catch it. That's the Louisiana GOP. That's the national GOP in 2022. They have no idea what they're going to do once they get into power. And so now the Republican Party actually has to step up and have ideas. What can those ideas be? Those ideas can be pushing for more school choice. Those ideas can be reforming the tax code. Those ideas can include changes to our health system that make it more efficient without breaking the bank. There are all sorts of ideas and things that you can put in place. But you need a plan before you go after these big offices. 232-1542 if you want to call in. Let's take our bottom of the hour news break. When we come back, the GOP's problems aren't just the establishment and they aren't just quality candidates. We've also got a grifter problem. I'll explain more when we get back here on News Talk 96.5 KPL. Welcome back to the Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 96.5 KPL 232-1542 if you want to be part of the conversation. Uh, lots of news today, uh, but there's a story that came out. this. It was, it was put out this morning by the Associated Press. I want to get into it because it's got some, it's got some information that you need to know before I make my next point. In key Senate and House battlegrounds, Democratic candidates outraised their Republican counterparts by a factor of nearly two to one, according to an Associated Press analysis of campaign and finance data. Consider the handful of races that helped Democrats retain their Senate majority. In Arizona, Masters was outraised nearly eight to one by Kelly, that's Blake Masters, uh, and Mark Kelly, who poured at least $32 million into TV advertising from August until Election Day records show. Masters spent a little over $3 million on advertising during the same period after the Senate Leadership Fund pulled out of the race. Meanwhile, in Canada, Senator Catherine Cortez Masto raised $52.8 million compared to Republican Adam Laxalt's $15.5 million. And in Pennsylvania, Democratic Senator-elect John Fetterman took in $16 million more than his GOP opponent, Dr. Mehmet Oz. That's despite the celebrity TV doctor leading or lending $22 million to his own campaign records show. Similar disparities emerged in crucial House races, including Nevada, Pennsylvania, and Virginia, helping to limit House Republicans to a surprisingly narrow majority. Among the conservatives who were most bitter about the red wave that wasn't, at least as far as the Senate goes, one of the recurring uh, complaints is that Mitch McConnell pulled his money from some areas to places that he felt were more strategically valued. 
for exa- for example, pulling money out of Arizona and other places to help fund Lisa Murkowski in Alaska. Masters is one of the Senate GOP candidates who was hurt by the move. And as I mentioned just now, you know, he didn't have as much money on hand as Mark Kelly did. Uh, one of the problems that the GOP overall had was that Donald Trump-backed candidates... Now, let me clarify on this. It's not just people who were backed by Donald Trump. That seems to be part of it, but the bigger part of it is people who were focused on relitigating 2020. That's where the big drop-offs in Republican support were. Masters ran several points behind other Republicans in Arizona, as did Carrie Lake, although Masters ran far behind Lake. I mentioned earlier, Lake told McCain voters, I don't don't want your vote. The Washington Post kind of broke that data down a bit. If we focus exclusively on districts, the Washington Post said, where the margin of victory was less than 15 points, such that the seat was conceivably in the balance, the picture that emerges is quite different. In these 114 districts, candidates bearing Trump endorsements underperformed their baseline by a whopping five points, while Republicans who were without Trump's blessing overperformed their baseline by 2.2 points, a remarkable difference of more than seven points. The idea that we have to relitigate 2020 is a drag on Republican candidates. And a lot of these candidates that were pushed by Trump and endorsed by Trump did not perform very well. They were not great candidates. The Republican Party had a terrible, terrible time of recruiting quality candidates. But at the same time, Mitch McConnell and the Senate Leadership Fund moved a bunch of money around to where they saw fit and at the expense of a lot of Republican candidates. This is all a bad thing for the Republican Party. However, Lake was good on the campaign trail. Masters much improved on the campaign trail. Adam Laxalt was undoubtedly a far better choice than than Catherine Cortez Masto. But the Trump tie apparently hurt them. In Nevada, Sheriff Joe Lombardo won the governor's race there, so that puts a Republican governor in charge of Nevada. He had no ties to Trump. Adam Laxalt did. But this is about more than who backed who. Look at the problem. Let me go back to the Associated Press piece. Masters was outraised nearly 8 to 1 by Kelly. Masto raised $52.8 million compared to Laxalt's $15.5 million. Fetterman took in $16 million more than his GOP opponent despite Oz lending his campaign $22 million. Do you see the problem here? The problem is that voters are not donating money to candidates. Republican voters are donating money to the super PACs, to the party. Remember, Rick Scott's NRSC, the National Republican Senatorial Committee, raised a ton of money, but used some shady campaign fundraising tactics and had to give a lot of that money back in terms of refunds, had a financial crisis, couldn't fund the candidates they wanted to fund. 
Mitch McConnell poured a lot of money into Ohio. Mitch McConnell poured a lot of money into Georgia. He poured a lot of money into Arizona, pulled a lot of it back, pulled his money out of some other places. But there was a lot of money being moved around by Mitch McConnell's Senate Leadership Fund. Republicans are too reliant on these super PACs. And Democrats are giving to candidates directly. There's your problem. The fact remains that the GOP has a money problem as much as it has a candidate problem, as much as it has an establishment problem, because all of the money goes to the PACs. Here's something else from the Associated Press report. When it came to purchasing TV ad time, Democrats' fundraising advantage yielded considerable upside. Ad sellers are required by law to offer candidates the cheapest rate. The same advantage doesn't apply to super PACs, which Republican candidates relied on to close their fundraising gap, often at a premium. In Las Vegas, for example, a candidate could buy a unit of TV advertising for $598, according to advertising figures provided to the AP. That same segment costs a super PAC $4,500, almost $4,000 difference. In North Carolina's Riley-Durham market, a $342 spot costs a super PAC $1,270. A $580 candidate segment in the Philadelphia area costs a super PAC nearly $2,000. All these Republican donors are giving their money to super PACs, and the super PACs cannot spend their money as efficiently as candidates can. And the candidates end up underfunded and they rely on the super PACs to bring in all the extra money that they need, but they don't get near the bang for their buck. The problem isn't just quality. There's now three major problems for the GOP. The first is that candidate quality. Other than the ones that I mentioned a little while ago, the Republican Party saw itself burdened with either bad candidates or unpopular ones. And all of them were focused on 2020. They were focused more on Donald Trump than they were focused on solutions to any of America's problems. That's something that the GOP has to deal with. Candidate recruitment has to pick up. Candidate training has to pick up. Working on messaging has to pick up. The second is fundraising. Candidates are finding themselves without money, and they can't get exposure in the competitive environment that we currently have, especially media markets. The result is that well-funded Democratic candidates are soaking up all the ad time and Republicans can't break through. But the third problem here is the rise of these political action committees and their part in these party-affiliated groups which soak up all this money and are run by grifting consultants. A lot of Republican consultants made a ton of money in 2022. The gravy train is still running for the consultants, but the, at the cost, at the expense of the candidates. They're taking in all the money that those candidates actually need. And as a result, broke candidates are losing out of airtime while the PACs go in and they move as the big guys in charge see fit. The Republican Party has to decide what's most important. Do we need better candidates? 
Do we need to drop the establishment or do we need to get money back to our candidates? And essentially, sorry for co-opting the phrase, buy local. Don't ship your money off to some super PAC based out of Washington, D.C. Find a candidate you like and write a check to them directly. Because if you don't, you really have no say how the money is spent. You can say, yeah, I donated to the NRSC, and the NRSC is going to blow your money on stupid digital advertising that doesn't work and stupid fundraising uh, revenue generation that doesn't work. And the Senate Leadership Fund is going to move all of its money around based on the whims of Mitch McConnell. But had Republican voters given their money to Blake Masters from the start, Blake Masters would have stood a better chance because he would have been able to buy his own airtime rather than relying on somebody else. There's a grifter problem. There's a super PAC problem. We can talk about, oh, uh, what, was the, what was the Supreme Court case that labeled uh, corporations as people? Uh, and the left is, is constantly saying we need to get rid of it. But it, it basically gave, it gave corporations and it gave super PACs a lot of power and a lot of money. But the problem is that money's not going to the candidates. It's out of their hands how the money gets spent. So as much as Republicans praise that decision, it's also actually kind of hurting them, it looks like. 232-1542, let's go ahead and take a break. When we come back, let's talk about the World Cup and all the problems with it. With it. We'll have that conversation here and more uh, here on, the, on News Talk 96.5 KPL. Welcome back to the Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 96.5 KPEL 232-1542 if you want to call in, be part of the conversation. By the way, somebody texted during the break, Citizens United, that was the Supreme Court decision I was thinking of. And, and that goes back again to, to what I think is one of the big problems that we have. Republicans were celebrating the idea of corporations being treated as people and, and it, it expands how much money can be donated and all this great stuff for campaign finance, except... All the money goes to super PACs. It goes to special interest super PACs at the expense of candidates who are not able to control how money is spent on their campaign. As a result, candidates are struggling to get the airtime that they need. And that's something Republicans need to figure out going forward. Anyway, 232-1542, if you want to call in, feel free. We've got John on the line. John, how are you today? Very good. Good show. I just wanted to say that, uh, you know, while you're beating up on the Republicans, there was a bright, shiny part on there. Fox News did a lot of good and helped them win. Some some folks won election that wouldn't have probably won if it wouldn't have been for Fox News showing all the crime mm-hmm. in the cities and stuff. So I just wanted to make that point. Well, yeah. Because they, they stopped showing all that crime in the city after the election, but when they did air it, it helped out a lot of Republicans who would otherwise maybe lost an election or two, and I, I want to bring that up. Well, you're absolutely right, and that's one of the reasons that the Democrats uh, did so poorly in New York, and Lee Zeldin came very close to unseating Governor Kathy Hochul there, uh, and uh, because of Zeldin's campaign and because of the machine that he kind of built there, he was a hit by... By how good he was, he was actually able to bring a lot of Republicans across the finish line 
in New York. And you're right, that hyper-focus on crime, that hyper-focus on the drug problem, uh, even in even in some areas, the focus on the border really helped a lot of Republicans as well. And all of these issues are the issues that Republicans, if they just keep pushing on because the problems aren't disappearing, yeah, the media coverage is going to go down now that the election's over. But if Republicans keep pushing and Republicans keep focusing on that, and like I said at the first half of the show, if Republicans offer solutions, they can start winning these elections again. But right now, too many Republicans are focused on issues that are not right in front of the voters. In New York, we saw it work. In California, there were actually some solid, solid conservatives that won races there as well. Kevin Kiley, who's going to Congress, is a fantastic California recover, uh, Republican. He will do great work there. And again, it's all because of focus on the right things. All right. Uh, hang up. Thanks right. very much. Thank you very much for the call, John. 232-1542 if you want to call and be part of the program. Now, before we go, I, I opened up the show by mentioning the World Cup. And the U.S. Uh, should have beat Wales. They should have. Uh, there's too much talent on the on Team USA for it to have ended in a 1-1 tie, especially with that stupid penalty inside the box, giving Wales a penalty kick that allowed them to equalize the game. But beyond the sport, there's a lot going on behind the scenes. Qatar spent $220 billion on soccer stadiums, hotels, roads, building an actual city to host the World Cup. FIFA went all in behind Qatar. There's a lot of questions about how that bid process and how that selection was actually made. Qatar spent $220 billion to try to legitimize itself in the eyes of the West, and it looks like it actually reversed. It's gotten worse. Thousands of workers were killed in the construction of all this stuff for the World Cup. Brazil spent $15 billion, the second most of all time, to host the tournament just a few years ago. Eight stadiums, a brand new city, hotels, roads, everything else, $220 billion. And what did we get? Well, FIFA has its own ticketing system, and it crashed like nobody's business. Thousands of spectators were stranded outside stadiums. FIFA is also supporting Qatar over the teams that want to protest the human rights abuses in Qatar. Most teams were planning on wearing something with a rainbow stripe on it to support LGBT people who are routinely condemned, punished, and even killed in Qatar. But FIFA announced that they would be issuing yellow cards to team captains who wore anything other than FIFA pre-approved captains' armbands. Most teams were going in expecting to be fined, but being yellow carded is something entirely different, and they weren't going to do that. But in a bright move, and this is what is really telling right now, this is, this is bravery. An Iranian soccer player spoke out against human rights abuses in Iran. You know, there's all those protests going on in Iran right now. Isan Hajshavi said he supports those who have died and claimed we have to accept that the conditions in our country are not right. That's bravery, not wearing a striped armband, but actually speaking out against tyranny in your own country. All right, I'll talk to you guys again soon. 23 hours until the next Joe Cunningham Show. Happy Thanksgiving week. Shannon is offsides next here on News Talk 96.5 KPL.